never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a very good day because I have got Dana Diaz with me. Dana is a woman who has made it her mission to speak out. And her topic is narcissistic abuse. She has written a book about it and she is now a, a woman on a mission. And I'm so excited uh, to have her here because it, it, it there's so many things that we want to tease apart on that subject. Dana, welcome to my show. Well, thank you for having me. That's an absolute honor. Dana, uh, it is nowadays, it is so difficult because we are living in a society that is a bit of a cancel culture everyone is offended everyone mm -hmm. is living with narcissists everyone is being bullied that is it's 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 yes. certain words have become such commonly thrown around that you actually think bloody hell narcissist there must be there must be hundred in in a hundred must be everyone must be a narcissist <laughs> um that yet is what do you think is a narcissist how do you define a narcissist it's a very complex uh psychology people spend decades studying this but i assure you to start with that only a half percent of the entire world population supposedly has narcissistic qualities that might be harmful to other people. And a half percent is very small, so we'll go with that. Um, but on a very basic level, a narcissist is somebody who feels superior to others. They feel they are entitled to uh, more than the average person. They feel maybe that they are um, entitled to have more than the average person. They just have to feel superior, but to the point where they seek to be exalted and admired and praised for being who they are and having what they have. However, they go about it in different ways. And what I always try to explain to people, because yes, the word is thrown around so loosely. If somebody exhibits a healthy self-esteem or says something really great about themselves or takes a selfie of their six pack abs that they worked really hard to get. That doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Can they be? Sure. But that doesn't mean they're a narcissist. Hmm. Some people just have a really healthy self-esteem and kudos to their parents for giving them that uh, confidence and, and, you know, that courage to go into life like that. We should all be so lucky. <laughs> However, what I am trying to bring light to is what we call malignant narcissists. Mm -hmm. So the best way that I have found to explain it is like tumors. You can have a benign tumor or a malignant tumor. The benign tumor is there, but it's not going to bother you. Mm -hmm. You can remove it, keep it, whatever. It's just there. The malignant tumor, however, is going to cause you problems. It might even kill you. So you want to remove it. Just like a narcissist, if it's malignant, we have a big problem. <laughs> right? So I like the way the removal, the removal of right. it. Yeah, no. You have to remove it. No, it, it's necessary when it's malignant. 
So the problem with narcissists, as far as it, it comes into play with abuse, is that regardless of the label, abuse is wrong. Abuse means you are intentionally causing harm to another human being. And that's just plain old wrong. Hmm. And 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 to be abusive, we are talking about, you know, physical abuse, verbal abuse, this term that's also thrown around a lot, gaslighting, hmm. manipulation, more in romantic um, or, you know, marital situations. We have legal abuse. We have sexual abuse also e even in marital situations. Um you know, there's so financial abuse. Did I mention that one? No. Basically, a narcissist will use any tactic that, that they can to exert control over some particular person they have targeted so that they feel this, this egocentric need to be the center of the universe. They will seek their admiration from others as well, but there is one person that they just want to tear down and abused to the point where they feel all powerful. So those are the narcissists that I'm mm. talking about. Oh, thank you, Dana. This was a beautiful description. And you you uh, introduced us to all those facets of abuse. Mm -hmm. And I loved it that you put the financial abuse in there. Otherwise, I would have thrown that in because it is so, so there are so many facets to a life and yet if you were to analyze relationships you will soon figure out that there is very much a controlling a, 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 oh, yes. a maliciously a malicious control happening over yes. um, these often women but also men uh non-binary yes. i mean this is not this is not something that only uh, is gender specific let's be quite clear Correct. about that is there any data Correct. actually out there about men and women or the, the prevalence there of, is of... so yeah they say the um i just read this last week as a matter of fact they said one in four women and one in three men are victims of intimate partner abuse ah that, okay so that's pretty high if you think about it especially one in three men that's, yeah, yeah that's a absolutely lot. absolutely and that fits with with the data that i am aware of um having said that abuse is one thing and it, it doesn't take a narcissist to to uh, abuse or cause pain or however you want to define it but yes Correct. you're right you're right um so I, it is there are so many things there there are personality disorders where where people are hardwired to be different and they are one in right. ten one in ten people have a personality disorder if you look at at um at sociopaths um and psychopaths you talk one in hundred so actually, yes. uh, the, the the one in 200 with the narcissist, hmm, I would have thought it is higher, but hey, I'll take it. I'll take it as a figure. <laughs> but it is true. I mean, mm -hmm. it, let's be real. Narcissists are, I mean, you can label them as whatever you want, but they are absolutely antisocial. Mm -hmm. They have no remorse. And that's why there's such a high incidence of you know, criminals, they say, I forget, it was 20 some percent of criminals, at right. least here in the US that yeah. are in prison, have narcissistic personality disorder. Nice. So I mean, there's definitely a prevalence mm -hmm. there. And then you consider that with the domestic violence, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
we have a big narcissist problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And what, what you're describing is the extreme. Um, now, yes. if you do a, a number of tests yourself, um, then you actually figure soon out that there are actually traits uh, and that mm -hmm. there is a spectrum from completely non-narcissist yes. to complete asshole um and yes, anything that's in between. what i call them but yes <laughs> <laughs> because because you know it is i'm going for interesting times so um and and people are one person told me that i'm rather a selfish prick so i thought well am oh. i am i a narcissist so i actually did, <laughs> come on where are the tests i, I want to figure that out and it's certainly there is there is I've achieved a lot in my life. I've worked hard for it for some of the things I'm really proud of. So now I like to to get the admiration from that. Does that make me a narcissist? Right. So you know it's that no, kind of it a, doesn't. That's my point. That's my point. <laughs> yet, yet I yeah. had a few traits, a little little narcissism came through in the tests. So it you just know, shows it is we are we are complex human beings. We are, but that again speaks to my point about how the slightest show of self-esteem or self-worth mm. is now deemed, it, there's a stigma to it. It's now deemed as narcissism and it, you can call it a spectrum, but my test of narcissism is if you actually ask yourself if you're a narcissist, you're not one that automatically <laughs> excludes you because that means you have a heart and you have enough self-awareness to worry about okay. your contribution in the world and your effect on other people okay. so you cannot possibly <laughs> be a narcissist i like that i like that i like that that's the end result that there everybody just ask yourself right now am i a narcissist yes or no if you say yes congratulations you're a jerk if okay. you say no, then there you go. You're one of us. You're okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. What a beautiful, simple self-test. I could have just <laughs> saved try. myself half an hour doing the test. I like you that. Could have. Just, just call Dana next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dana. God. But here you are uh, being being an expert on on that and, and being so passionate about the subject um, that you write a book about it. Well, you didn't just wake up and you were eight years old and say, hey, mommy, I know, I know. I'm going to be an expert on narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get no. into that quite questionable, um, questionable? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was very unfortunate circumstances. I uh, literally was born into it and um, did not choose it. Um, I, I was born, my mother was a teenager when she became pregnant with me. And this was back in the 70s. It was not okay for girls to get pregnant at a young age and be unwed single mothers. So there was a lot of, you know, shame and ridicule that she endured and unfortunately projected onto me. Um, but I also argue that she didn't want children at all because right after I was born, Right there, I came out, the placenta came out, she had her tubes tied. She did not want children as a teenager. And back then they would tie your tubes um, when you were that young. So she always was very emotionally distant from me, almost to the point of neglect. Um, I didn't feel any affection or any favor from her at all. No, it, certainly no approval. I was the physical manifestation of her biggest regret in life, her her biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. And then she got married to a much older man who 
<laughs> you know, even the premise of their being together was based on a lie um, because he had been married and did not tell her he was married. And, and then, you know, he ended up divorcing his wife, taking his his house from the wife he was married to, marrying my mother and moving us in. Um, it all happened very fast. But regardless of that, I didn't, you're right. I did not know what a narcissist was, but I saw how he bragged about everything. He knew everything. He would tell people that he had things they would never have. He, you know, mm -hmm. he was obsessed with status and, and financial gain and to the point where he would screw people over if it was advantageous to him um, to have or to be something um, that he otherwise would. And it just, it's just a vile human being, honestly. And I noticed that even when I was a kid and, and he presented though, as very funny and charming, you know, trying to be this family man, whenever we were out in, you know, among his family, our family in public, you know, very affectionate to me and seemingly happy to have me as his, uh, so-called daughter. But behind closed doors, it was very different. Um, he, the, there was verbal abuse and physical abuse. Um, the verbal abuse was the worst because that's what I've really had to struggle with in my 40 some years of life. The physical abuse was because I stood up for myself because I told him it was wrong. I told him not to treat me that way. I, well, as I got older and learned new words, I called him things that he didn't like and <laughs> I suffered for it. But, but, you know, the verbal abuse, I always tell people, think about a four or five little girl, four or five year old little girl that you know, and think about somebody saying to this little girl every single day, you should have never been born. Nobody wants you here. I shouldn't have to pay for you to have food and shelter and clothing. You're not even my child. Why should I pay for another man's child? You should be more grateful that I'm giving you a place to live. It, you know, all these things. He he would, it, I'd eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He'd tell me it would make me fat. I'd put on a leotard for dance class. He'd call me a whore and say, I, I looked like a whore. Uh, you know, it, it was just disgusting. Um, I would go to my mother and tell her these things, but she would either tell me that I was lying to get attention or she would negate it altogether and say he would never say that, he would never do that. Um, so I was shut down. I had nowhere to turn. And unfortunately, people have to understand as well, during those times, I was going to school and I could hear teachers referring to me as illegitimate. Kids were telling me they couldn't play with me because I was a bastard child, you know, so everywhere I turned, I even remember one Halloween in our neighborhood, a neighbor, a couple doors down, the lady would not give me candy, gave all the other kids candy, but not me because she said I didn't deserve any. So I, everywhere I turned, I was made to feel insignificant, unworthy, undeserving. And I internalized this. Because of course how could you would. Unbelievable. I had nobody speaking anything positive around me or to me to think any more than what where, was in front of me. Where did you grow up in the states? Um, in Chicago. Oh, well, that's not really, that's not really Bible Belt, is it? That is not really. No. no, no. As a matter of fact, here's the irony: is you know my mother's family. You know my last name is Diaz. Um, we're Puerto Rican, yeah. so 
Catholic, very Catholic. (laughs) I was born and raised in the Catholic church. But this man that my mother married, as soon as we got with him, there was no more church because he didn't believe in God. So we weren't supposed to believe in God either. You know, I mean, talk about controlling. He dictated everything, everything. And my mother submitted. And what I noticed growing up was that, you know, and I've had these conversations with my mother as an adult. She wanted a house. She wanted a life. She wanted to, you know, a car and things. And she felt she could only have that if he was, if she was with this man. He made her believe that, you know, just like he was making me believe that she was incompetent and incapable of having anything or being anything unless she was with him. But I, I I mean, I would stand up for myself. I was a fiery little thing. I, I I was a spitfire. (laughs) Still am, I think. Um, But I would stand up for her too. I would stand up to him when he would talk down to her. Mm. And then I would pay for it. And that's where the physical abuse came in. If I spoke up, things would happen. And as I got older, those things got worse. Because when I was little, four or five years old, it was just, you know, yanking my ponytail too hard. Little things like that. Still wrong, but teetering on, you know, what was considered acceptable back then. Because again, you have to consider the times. Back then you could spank your kids. You could slap your kids. It wasn't, you know, now you can't even look at your kid wrong. But back then you could. (laughs) You could do a lot more to so-called discipline your child for talking out of turn. Um, But as I got older, it got to the point where, you know, I would pick up the phone to call somebody for help and I would be beaten with the phone. And, you know, the worst of it was when I was about 17, when I just became very angry about the situation at home because I I was struggling with why am I here? Why do I even exist? I was not suicidal, but I didn't want to live this life of suffering and I remember the one night I just, I just was so angry and I screamed out, why the heck don't you people care about me? Why don't you love me? And well, I got straddled, slapped, punched, beaten, strangled, thrown downstairs. That that's, that's what happened when I spoke up. And this is why victims of abuse don't say anything because nobody's going to believe you outside the house Sometimes people in your house don't believe you or they contribute to it or enable it or excuse it. So you are left alone and you learn to be quiet so you don't have to suffer the consequences of, you know, trying to have some justice for what you're enduring. Hmm. Wow. Wow. My goodness. Unfortunately, many women then escape their first prison only to end up in another prison thereafter (laughs) yep yep (laughs) exactly so yes tick done that (laughs) she says (laughs) (laughs) yep thus enter the subject of my book yeah Mm. i i i left my childhood home as i i was basically pushed out um you know, and we're writing a book about all this. So we'll get into the details of that in, you know, next year when that's released. But um, 
I left the house 18 years old. When I was 19, I, I'm, I'm going to school. I'm in college full-time. I am working full-time because I am going to make it on my own. I don't need my mother. I don't need my stepfather. I was sleeping in my car at the train station, sleeping on whoever's couch I could. I was going to figure this out. I was a fighter. Well, one day this young man walks into the office, the real estate office I worked at. He was a jerk. He was aloof. He was arrogant. Um, I thought he felt entitled. And I thought, oh, I know this kind of personality. He reminded me of my stepfather, who I didn't like very much for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't want anything to do with this young man. But unfortunately, Looking back, I didn't know what these words meant then, but I was a people pleaser. I was basically like a, a, you know, if anyone thinks of a little puppy that you tell sit down and wait for a treat and that dog is sitting there wagging its tail and practically shaking because it's like, give me the treat, give me the treat. That's how I felt inside. I wanted love. Nobody had ever loved me. They, mm -hmm. my, in my house, they barely paid attention to me. So I'm like that dog inside, eager, like, come on, love me, love me, love me, like me, like me, like me. And the fact that he didn't pay much mind to me and that he was so, you know, it, just indifferent to me, it made me more eager. I was a people pleaser. Big surprise. Oh, my God. So when he approaches me a few weeks later and and, and says, let's hang out, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I don't like this guy, but I have no other options. And let's be real. I am lonely. I'm young. I'm I was desperate. Like I just wanted anybody. It didn't even matter who, just somebody make me feel like I'm worthy of any notice. Hmm. And he was the only one. So I thought, so then I, I turned it back to myself. Am I being too judgmental? Am I being too picky? Am I being too something? Why not give it a try? And well, it it didn't it, it wasn't a good first meeting, but we ended up together for 25 years. <laughs> oh dear. But I know, I know. I, That's how I feel when I look back. I'm like, oh Dana, what what were you thinking? <laughs> But, but it is so hard because you're you're primed you're primed from those first early years this oh. yearning for love this yearning to be heard this yearning to be held in your arms and that yearning of course you then portrayed onto this yes other man and yes. why and on what him was worse yeah. yeah yeah and what was worse i'm sorry was that during my teenage years, and even even though my mother and I had a very strained relationship, I would go to her and 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 express concerns about this young man and and some of the things going on. and and she would tell me repeatedly that, well, like your stepfather, he only got that way with you because it's it's an expression and extent of how much he cares about <laughs> him. <laughs> bullshit. If he uh... loves you, then oh. sometimes their emotions are just that much that extreme when they're showing you how disappointed they are in you. She was basically telling me that if somebody loves me, they're going to treat me like crap. So how was I supposed to think any different? It oh. it it was so <laughs> it was so alarming to me that that my own mother. It's like she was trying to 
trap me into the same situation she was in. Yet, unfortunately, they had already done the brainwashing through what I witnessed in the childhood home. She didn't have to tell me that because I saw (laughs) it and, and I was enacting that in my life, whether I thought it was right or wrong. That's how I knew to act. She had been my role model for, you know, a, a a partner role for the female role in a partnership. And that's what I was doing. I was now enabling and excusing, oh, he only had this violent, angry outburst because he had a bad day. We all have bad moods, don't we? Maybe I shouldn't have said that because if I didn't provoke him to be that way, then he wouldn't be that way. You know, because he doesn't act that way in front of his mother. He doesn't act that way in front of his. It's just me. So I must be the problem. You see where this goes? And as time went on, he was pushing it and pushing it. And that's the thing about narcissists. They know they can only push so far. So they push you. They do the things they do, especially in the beginning. They go to the point where you're going to, you know, and they know too that it's wrong, their behavior is not acceptable, but it's not so bad that it would be a deal breaker, right? Mm -hmm. So you teeter on this edge to where you can excuse it as a bad day, a bad mood, something Mm -hmm. happened, they must have, you know, something affected this, maybe they need a nap, who knows, maybe they're hungry. (laughs) But then the next time, because they got away with that, the next time it's just a little bit worse. They're going to cross your boundaries a little bit more. Just enough to where you don't notice it, but it's pushing that line that you don't want them to cross just a little further out. So by the time you are at point B, you look at point A and say, how did I get here? How did this happen without me noticing? It's kind of like how we gain weight over time. We're like, how did I, I looked like this five years ago. How come I look like this now? How, where did this weight come from? Well, because every day you don't see that tiny, tiny, you know, little quarter of an ounce or whatever it is from that extra little snack you had. And then next thing you know, you're, you know, two, three close sizes bigger. It's the same thing when they're pushing these boundaries. So they know they can get away what they can get away with. So they try to get away with more. And when they feel that they're losing you or that they have, um, you know, affected you in such a way that you're going to question like, wait, hold on, this is not acceptable then they love you and everything they it, I'll never do it again. And it's me. I'll get help. I won't do this or that. And you believe them and you have an investment of, of time. And maybe you've all, you know, in our case, we, we bought a house together and then we had a, a you know, we got married, we had a child, our families are intertwined. You know, th- there's a lot more. It's not just as easy as saying, I'm done. You crossed the line. I'm walking away. I, mm. Even without the abuse, it's not as simple as doing that. If he mm. cheats, I'm going to leave. Well, guess what? He cheated before we were married, after we were married, to the point where I stopped even asking where he was and what he was doing because I didn't care as long as it wasn't me. You know, it, it's just a terrible situation to be in. And I think a lot of, I can speak for a lot of women, not all women, and men too, possibly, but you know, you get to the point where you're in this relationship for so long that 
you're not okay with things that are going on, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're not going to walk away because to dismantle the life and the family and the whole thing for what, you know, you, you just, you, you hope things will be different. You, you try to do things to get a different outcome and whether they change or not, you, you at least you think you're trying. Um, And then the other part of the abuse is that they do make you feel trapped. Mm. I lived most of my life with my ex, just like in my childhood home in Mm. fear. He would keep a knife next to him when he watched TV and he never pulled it on me. He never threatened me with it, so to speak, but it was there to keep me in line. It was to like keep a you shock in line? collar on a dog. To, to keep, keep you in line? Or to was there yeah. was there a history of PTSD? Was he worried about other no? No. No. Hmm. no. Okay. No, it was there. He knew I didn't like knives, and it was a scary looking knife. And he did this in the same way with his gun. You know, I mean, there was a a situation where he came home from work once he's he installed ring doorbells and cameras so he could monitor everybody's comings and goings. And I came home early once. Um, This was right about when he could feel that I was filing for divorce. I had not yet, but I was going to. He must have seen on the ring doorbell that I came home because he he tore into the driveway not even 10 minutes later. Didn't say a word to me when he walked in, but boy, the look on his face looked like he was going to kill somebody. Walked up the stairs, came back down with his handgun in his hand, walked out, drove out of the driveway. Nothing happened, but he wanted to make sure I knew that he had a gun to put fear in me. And everything came back to fear. That's where like the legal abuse and financial abuse come in. Legal abuse is constantly, you know, he would tell me that he was going to get a lawyer. He could afford any lawyer he wanted, and he's going to make sure to take my son away and I'd never see my son again. Did I really think he could do that? No, but I wasn't sure what he would do. Because again, like my mother and stepfather, he's creating this narrative in his family, even calling my mother. I'm not sure why, because we were practically estranged most of my life. But, you know, saying that I'm crazy, I'm mentally unstable, she's suicidal, she's all these things, which I wasn't. But he wanted to portray me as somebody who might take my life and, and you know, fast forward, he did actually tell our neighbors he planned to kill me. So I feel like he was trying to set things up. You see where I'm going? So you live in this fear of always looking over your shoulder. Every time I went somewhere other than work, you know, I'd get the text messages. Where are you? Who are you screwing? If I tried to go to church on Sunday, do you love God more than me? Are you screwing the 80 some year old priest? Is that why you're going there? Are you getting favors from somebody? You know, it was just everything was a fight. Everything became fearful. I didn't even have family or friends anymore. I couldn't even talk to the next door neighbor that she and I had gotten along great, but he didn't like her. He didn't like her because she was a strong, very domineering personality. He thought I'd catch, you know, some inclination to leave him because she didn't like him either. 
I couldn't have influence. So then I couldn't talk on the phone in the house because it bothered him. If I stepped outside to talk on the phone, we go back to who are you screwing? Why can't you talk on the phone in front of me? Because you don't like it. We're going in circles. Text messaging. Now we have smartphones and cell phones. Who are you texting? Who's texting you now? Why is your phone buzzing? You sure have a lot of friends. You got a guy on the side. You see what I'm saying? And this sounds very minor to some people, but you have to understand with all of this coming at me at once and in the midst of it, we have a child and I'm trying to maintain some sense of peace mm. and, and <laughs> decrease the tension and volatility in the home. Mm. So my son doesn't have to see all this because then my son gets withdrawn and doesn't leave his room. Mm. He doesn't want to have friends over to witness his dad's behavior. His dad's also a drunk. So you add alcohol to the mix. That was fun. Um, <laughs> it was just a, it was a long roller coaster ride. And then you throw in these little bits of domestic violence. You know, I locked him out of the house once because he was scaring me. He was terrifying me and he was drunk, which he usually got very hostile and very aggressive physically when he was drunk. He would hold my son down by the neck and raise his fist and I'd have to throw my body between them, you know, not to mention the things he threatened on me. So, you know, this night I locked him out. We were going back and forth yelling through the door and I got so scared that he was going to break down the door and honestly kill me that I ended up just unlocking the door. He came in and swung a crowbar at my head. I ducked just in time not to be dead, basically. You know, so much was happening. The financial abuse. Oh. Financial abuse. There are so many people experience that in different ways. Um, in my situation, my ex had actually for the last four and a half years of our marriage, he decided he didn't have to work anymore. He said he'd worked for seven. I know, right? He said he'd worked for 17 years of his life. And so it was my turn. And I'm like, my turn. I've worked since I was 12 years old when I started babysitting and I had you know, actual paid jobs since I was 16. I'd never stopped working ever. But he said he was done working, even though, yes, I tried to explain to him that the average person usually works longer than 17 <laughs> years, unless they win the lottery or were born with a silver spoon in, in their mouth, which he wasn't. Um, but it was my turn. And again, here I am in a situation, I've got a kid, I've got, you know, we have a mortgage, we have, you know what I mean? I, somebody's got to pay the bills. So now I am exhausting myself, finding anything I can do for work, um, working 10 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week, never stopping. All I did was work and all he did was lay on the couch all day spending money. I found out after the fact, well after the fact, he had actually drained his retirement fund that he had of almost $100,000. It was all gone and there was nothing to show for it. He drained the home equity on our on our house. There was nothing left of it. Yeah, he racked up credit cards that he had taken in my name because I was the income earner, but we were legally married, so our finances were tied ran up $100,000 in credit card debt. 
and just kept spending money because laying on the couch, he felt like if he wanted to buy a chainsaw, he was going to buy a chainsaw. Did he need one? No, he had one, but he wanted a new one. He wanted a new four wheeler. He wanted a new, you know, part for his truck. He wanted new wheels for, for his vehicle that wasn't even running. He wanted a new Mustang. He wanted, he wanted, wanted, wanted. Well, who, who the hell doesn't? But I had to keep working and keep arguing with him while I was, keep, you know, trying to work and pay the bills because I didn't feel it was right to file bankruptcy for, you know, him intentionally spending all this money that he knew we didn't have. You know, he got mad even when our son needed braces because he didn't think that the money should be spent to get our son braces because, you know, he wanted a motorcycle. He what wanted this. Fuck? He wanted that. Yeah. Misplaced priorities is an understatement. He was just a selfish piece of crap. So here I am busting my butt. You know, some people, I've heard other people experience financial abuse in so many different ways. You know, a lot of people, narcissists like to have the the power to have their, their partner bring them receipts for every little thing and make them return items that they don't feel that are needed just to humiliate their partner. Um, in my case, I was just forced to overwork. Some people are told not to work, stay home and take care mm. of the children. Either way, they want to prevent you from having any financial ability to leave. They don't want you to have financial freedom or they want you to pay their way, like in my situation. But you know, all this exhaustion I was feeling with everything going on, mm. it had led me to become so I, I thought I was just, I thought I was just fatigued <laughs> physically. I mean, emotionally, obviously, <laughs> but by the end of 2018, I was so ill. I had dropped down to 93 pounds. Mm. I mean, I was skeletal. I was having neurological problems, cardiovascular, digestive, muscular. I was suffering a couple dozen symptoms every day. I just was having a really hard time functioning at all. Wow. So I went through about a year of testing. He was very upset about that because now I was spending money on medical bills that he didn't feel were necessary. It turns out by the end of 2019, Mayo Clinic um, here in the States discovered that my cortisol levels were so high. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Of course. They were so high. They should be somewhere between one and 700, depending on the time of day or what mm. type of stress you're enduring. Mine were consistently over 2,500, four times higher than what they should have been for so long that my body fought against itself. It My body thought it had to eradicate some cancer or virus that it actually killed so many of my white blood cells that I became autoimmune and I developed a lung syndrome. The lung syndrome, the doctor said, is like having COPD and fibromyalgia all at the same time, which is why I was having all these random you know, seemingly unrelated symptoms, but it was all because of, you know, we can call it chronic stress, abuse, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. But this man had done me in without actually laying a finger on me, which I'm sure he loved. Um, he was very, uh, 
<laughs> almost tickled by my diagnosis. It was actually pretty disgusting because now he had a reason to get pity from other people. So then he was telling his family and, and people at my son's school and, oh, my poor wife, she's so sick. She's so stressed. I don't know what I'll do if anything happens to her. I know what he'll do. He's going to take my life insurance and go buy himself a Corvette or something. You know what I mean? It, it, it sounds crazy, but I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to let him, you know, get the, any benefit or or yeah, any pity, never mind anything else from what I was going through because of him. And, and I didn't solely blame him. Part of the blame was on my mother and her husband, because I mean, they, even though I was an adult and, and the contact was minimal, the bullshit never ceased, honestly. I mean, I, I was still, anytime I was around them, I was insulted, degraded, demeaned. My mother would pretend that she didn't hear anything, even though she was sitting right there and could hear it clearly, you know? So it, it was just... It, it was like I was the ringmaster of some ridiculous circus and, and it had to stop. But at one point there at the end of 2019, the doctor did say, he, he said, your body is actually shutting down. Everything in your body, all of your organs have basically depleted function. They're just barely alive. They're, they're barely at minimal survival rates. And he said, if you don't change your life circumstances, whatever it is causing you stress, you know, and, and that was too much to bear. I don't think that anyone wants to be told at 44 years old that this is it. Mm. And I, so I had to ask myself, is this really it? Is this how I want to go out? I lived my life. Everybody treated me like crap. I tried really hard to be a good mother, but that's it. I'm just going to be dead one wow. day and life goes on. And, you know, that's not, how I thought it would be. It's not how I wanted it to be. But I think that's when I actually realized like, oh, there's this thing inside me called self-respect that maybe if I don't want to die and I don't want to be married to this man, that I actually have a choice. I, I, I can actually choose to change these circumstances. And maybe just maybe what if wild idea I lived the rest of my life how I wanted to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. It sounds silly, but when you've been a victim of abuse, your life is dictated to you. Oh. I had been told for 40 some years what to say, what to wear, how to be, where to go, how, how to act, how my hair should be, how, you know, iron this, do that, make this for dinner. I, I mean, don't listen to that music. Don't read that. But everything in my life, everything was dictated. Mm. It's like I lost myself. That's how I felt. I had to kind of start over at that point and just say, you know what? What if I made what I wanted for dinner? What if I wore that red lipstick that mm. a friend of mine gave me to wear for Christmas because it was kind of festive, even though my ex said, you know, it, I look like a whore and I would argue I looked like a Christmas whore. But hey, what if I wanted to wear that lipstick? What if I want to wear that dress that he doesn't like me wearing because he says I look like a hooker, which I didn't, by the way, it was a beautiful red dress. But, you know, just 
I had to start making decisions for me. And it felt very liberating, but certainly it didn't help our situation. I wanted out. I did talk to a lawyer. Um, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I talked to a lawyer in February of 2020. And shortly after, I, you know, I had some homework to do before I could file. Uh, we went into the COVID pandemic shelter in place. So now I was stuck in a house with this man, couldn't file for divorce because courts were closed. And so I had to start really thinking, okay, I can be bold and make my firm assertions of this is what I want and this is who I am and all this, but I had to be careful because this man had threatened my life. So I started keeping a notebook. I moved to my basement. Um, he made life difficult. He was uh, taking light bulbs out of the light fixtures. He turned the water off to the toilet, um, it, you know, just <laughs> uh, playing games basically, but I wasn't giving in. I kept a notebook, a record of everything that was happening because if something happened to me, I wanted to make sure somebody would know uh, where to where to turn to and, and who was the culprit. Um, so fortunately, since I had time on my hands, I was able to start typing and elaborating on these stories and everything else that had transpired in our marriage. Um, and that's what actually ended up becoming the book because when I was finally able to file for divorce, when um, the courts reopened and, and I got divorced and I was finally out in the world again and able to communicate with people and mm. be in society again and not caged in that house. Um, I realized that there were so many other people in the situation like, like me that thought they were alone. And I realized there were so many other people like me that suffered physically because of even just the mental abuse aspect of, of what we'd been through. And I felt it was so important to bring awareness to this. And, and I think there was always that, that passion inside of me from the time I was a little girl, because I never got justice. So I felt it was my responsibility to just speak out against this and, and let people know what it looks like that yes we showed up at t-ball games with cupcakes and hot dogs and smiling and laughing but that's not what happened at home sure. and people need to understand that what you see is not always what is everything's a facade and and we really need to you know be a little more sensitive to the fact that abuse exists, whatever you want to label a person as or a situation as, it exists and there needs to be justice. Because guess what? After my divorce, we had two situations at my house. One with a knife and one with a gun. And in neither case did the court do anything about it. The police were called. I went to court several times. I was denied an emergency order of protection. I was denied my appeal for an order of protection. The police would not arrest him the night that the gun was shot off outside my bedroom because they said there were no grounds uh, you know, to arrest him, even though he was trespassing on my property. The property was in my name only. And he was drunk and barefoot, by the way. He didn't even have shoes on, but they would not arrest him. Um, so there was no justice for me, even in the midst of, you know, a situation where my life was actually in danger. Um, 
So I think it's really important that these things change, but the only way for them to change is if people acknowledge them and understand them a little bit better. Because according to the police and to the courts, at least in our area, I had never filed a report against him. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I must just be some kind of vengeful ex-wife that was seeking to have him put away for, you know, random reasons. And why didn't I go to the police sooner? Well, why would I, if I couldn't even speak up for myself without having consequences, how would I go to the authorities and have them involved? I, I would have, I'd have been lucky to have still been alive at that point. And that's what happens, unfortunately, in so many situations is if people speak up, whether it's to somebody they know or to the authorities, mm. they don't get another chance to report another incident. Exactly. Exactly right. And that is a, 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 a fear that so many couples live with. Um, it is it's so hard to to imagine that. Um, and I'm not surprised to hear the impact on your physical health. Uh, yeah. It is so common to hear that um, the, the, the kind of burnout on a physiological level uh, is yes. such a real, real thing. Uh, and, and and I loved it how your how your physician was actually terming it that the fibromyalgia, so to speak, the whole body pain where your body is literally screaming out in pain, everything hurts. Yes. Well, no surprise if you have been under such circumstances, under such tremendous, tremendous stress. Um, at some stage, your body says enough is enough. And that right. is exactly what you displayed. And often enough, then we doctors, when we don't look at, at a patient holistically, we are but rather trying to see, well, okay, which tablets can we give you? Um, then exactly. you don't see that picture. You just see an autoimmune thyroiditis that your thyroid is going haywire right. or, or those kind of things. Oh, let's treat the thyroid. Here is a nice tablet for that. Not looking actually what has caused it. What are the contributing factors? And I think that is the... Exactly. Exactly. The, the pitfall that many patients as well as physicians actually fall into. Agreed. My goodness. But you're, you're but the beauty oh. of it is, yeah, I mean, things have turned around. I, I always like to point out the the last of the domestic violence actually happened three years ago, just a couple days ago, actually, October 17th um, of 2020. So here we are three years and three days later, and I'm healthy again. I don't weigh 93 pounds anymore. I mean, I looked great in a bikini, but it was a little too sickly. I am now healthy and, oh, and, no. and, and whole again, and I don't need a breathing machine to breathe. And I function every day like a normal person. I still get the occasional headache or stomach ache when I'm a little stressed out, mm. but, the, but I am safe. I, I am mentally in a better place because I am not living in constant fear. Mm. It has taken me all of about two and a half years to get to where I can sleep all night. Mm. But I am now, it, it sounds silly to some people, but I'm finally sleeping again all night. I mean, I was so tired. My nervous system needed so much time to settle and for me to get to where I could just sleep for mm. five or six hours, even mm. if I was lucky enough to get past the three hour point, 
but I can sleep at night and I feel so much better. And, you know, even my skin looks better. I, yeah. I was gray and hollow and, and it just wasn't a way to live. And, and, you know, I can function and I'm remarried to a longtime friend that thank God, cause I wouldn't have gone out dating after all, of that. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. but he was there for me. And even being remarried, just being with somebody that reciprocates the respect and the admiration and, mm. and, you know, there's a give and take, not just a take, take, take. Mm. This is probably what a healthy relationship is. And people are, are, are thinking that, yeah, that's normal. I never had that. Mm. I never had that. And I have somebody for the first time in my life, I have somebody who talks to me kindly, somebody who actually likes me and thinks I have value in this world. You know, and what I love about it most is that none of it has to do with my appearance. He sees me inside. My ex-husband, as awful as he was, the only nice thing he ever said to me ever in our 25 years, he would always Hey, beautiful. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Guess what? Beauty fades. I could get in an accident and be completely, you know, altered. I'm going to get old and gray and wrinkly. And, you know, I'm, I, I might become overweight and have 20 cats. I don't know. But this man that I am married to now yeah. speaks to me. He speaks to my intelligence. He likes my ideas. He likes the way I write. He, you know, he sees so much more value in me as a human being, mm. not just this outward appearance, which again, we go back to what people typically think of narcissists. They're very superficial. Everything mm. is what they see, what you see on the outside. So, you know, overall, I just want people to understand. I thought I was stuck in my circumstances I thought I was doing the noble things, staying for my son, making it work, taking the brunt of things just, just to keep going. I'm not sure why, honestly. But when I finally had enough self-respect to say, okay, I want to live. And I don't want to live sickly. And I don't want to live with somebody who holds me back from my potential. Yeah, I hear I had a degree in journalism and I studied psychology as, as a minor in college and this man wouldn't let me pursue a career in writing. I couldn't have, I couldn't do anything that would make me feel a sense of achievement or success or, or rate higher than anything he'd done, which wasn't much. It wasn't hard to, you know, but no, I, and I mean that I'm not meaning that like, in, a, in cause I'm, you know, have upset towards him. It really, he hadn't accomplished much of anything in his life. He, he was pretty basic. So here I am now, three years out of this. I am healthy. I am happy. I am remarried to an amazing man who demonstrates with me to my son what a healthy relationship looks like and how a man should treat a woman and a woman, a man, and I am just going based on traditional gender roles. I don't mean offense to anybody, um, you know, that operates under different circumstances, but we are showing him, my son, that we can disagree, but still like each other. Mm. We can laugh. Even my son said, it's good to see you smiling and laughing again, because oh. I didn't do that before. 
Yeah, that's how bad it was. And guess what? I never in a million years thought that three years ago, I would have never thought, even though I was writing, I never thought I'd publish a book and I have published a book and I am in the process of publishing two more that will be out next year. One about my childhood experiences. And then unfortunately, I just seem to be a magnet for these people. I had another narcissist that I've known a very long time that turned on me and just tried to destroy my new happy life um, out of some sense of jealousy, I suppose. I She liked me just fine when I was um, in dire circumstances, but seeing me thrive and succeed and overcome and be the strong, resilient person I'm not supposed to be just drove her over an edge. And, and I've had to suffer uh, quite a bit, still am to this day, but that's a whole other book. And so we're just going to keep writing and we're going to keep showing people <laughs> that you know, what narcissism looks like, what abuse looks like. And all I ask is for people to be kind to each other. It's such a simple thing to ask, but so many people have a difficult time with it. But I always say, if you just start with yourself, watch what you say, watch what you do. You don't have to tiptoe around people yeah. and walk on eggshells, but just be respectful and be kind. Because if you do that in your home, then hopefully you infect everybody in your home with this and they go to school and they go to work and they go in your community. And then maybe the little kindnesses that they do will spread to those people. And then we have world peace. See, I've solved it right here. I love it. I love it. And I, I believe exactly into the same things. Uh, but maybe there's there's a way for you to make money. Um, you are obviously a narcissist <laughs> magnet. So just walk yes. through the community and say, come on, guys, um, $500. Um, you just show me your husband. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> maybe well, the big joke anymore. We do live in a small town. So the big joke now is don't upset Dana. She might write a book about you. Ooh. Ooh, ouch! <laughs> Quite rightly, and so. narcissists Quite. love that, though, don't they? They love to be the center of attention. So yeah, but I not in that way. Not, no, not in that way. No, that it's is... very offensive. Yes, mm. I, I'm stirring the pot a little bit, but you know what? Oh. I'm stirring it for a good cause because there's a lot of people who are in situations that they can't speak for themselves, and they can. And maybe something I say, or maybe something I've written, will spark something in somebody mm. that they'll notice it and that they'll try to help this person mm. you know because the thing about it is they it, when you're in those circumstances you don't think there's a way out mm. most of the comments uh, you know when people reach out to me is they say well where will I go where am I gonna live I mm. have no money he won't give me money or she won't give me mm. money or she took mm. all the yeah here's what my answer is I promise you, no matter who you are or where you are, there are people like me and like you that will give the shirt off their backs mm. for you to have clothing. We are not going to let your children starve. Mm. We are not going to let you sleep out in the rain or in the cold or in any situation. There are resources in every single community that will keep you clothed and sheltered and fed and get you back up on your feet to where you will, you know, hopefully mm. sooner than later, but mm. eventually have your own place 
where you can raise your children if you have children or just begin the healing process for yourself. There are resources everywhere and there are good people out in the world. You just have to trust in that and you just have to trust, you know, and I hope I'm an example of, you know, three years ago, like I said, I hear, I thought I'm, I'm laying in that basement thinking this is all my life is. I'm just going to die and that's it. And here I am three years later mm-hmm. with a, a beautiful loving husband and in a, a beautiful home. My son is just thriving as much as I am. We're doing good and healthy. So it can happen. It really is a very real possibility. You just have to choose that. You have to want it. And nobody can make you do that but you. Wow. Wow. Powerful words. And I absolutely agree with you. Wow. Uh, Dana, um, do you... Where can people know more about you? I mean, there's no no two ways around it. People will gel with your message. They want to they read more of your book. They want to find you. Where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. I tell everybody, just go to my website. Everything is there. DanaSDiaz.com. The link for my book is there, but you can buy it anywhere books are sold online. You can find my Facebook and Instagram links on the website, and I encourage everybody to reach out. I post content every day. If you follow me, we have healing tips. We have um, domestic violence and abuse awareness uh, You know, information that we put out. We even have a Friday funny because Lord knows we've got to laugh at some of the stuff that narcissists do or any abusive person. So we get a good laugh every Friday. But absolutely every podcast, including this one that I have been a guest on, is also on the website as well as a blog. Everything is on the website. So go to DanaSDS.com. And there is also that narcissistic abuse quiz. But like I told you, you don't have to take a quiz to find out if you're a narcissist. Just ask yourself the question, and I promise you, you'll have your answer. <laughs> so, and you guys out there, go check her book out, Gasping for Air, Breaking the Stranglehold of Narcissistic uh, Abuse. Uh, a beautiful book. Uh, it is, uh, just you. go out there and 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 read it because it will expand your horizon it will uh, you it will allow you to maybe see through certain patterns of behavior that might be closer to your home than you think um and it might just give you that extra bit of push to maybe take action in your own life and to truly appreciate yourself to truly learn how to look through the the bullshit that you have been Mm -hmm. fed in your youth the core beliefs that were screwed to the to the nth degree but were laid down so early that they are still running your life and i think that is where where this where uh, your mission comes in dana you're a woman with a with a mission and i love to be part of your of your journey here to bring this message to the to the millions out there because yes, people need you. to hear that absolutely Dana you're an amazing woman thank you so much thank for you. being a guest on my show I truly truly appreciated your your candor your honesty your integrity um your your humility to actually open yourself up because there's a lot of shame and guilt often 
squeezed into you, uh, made you believe that it's all your fault, and you, you you're bucking that trend. You are going out there and say, Actually, "I sure am. It's not my shame anymore. I am. I am good with who I am. I am a product of my life, but yeah. it wasn't my shame to begin with." So. Beautiful. I hope everybody else can release theirs. And thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute <laughs> pleasure to have this conversation. Cool. And you guys out there, look after yourself and, and make the most out of your beautiful day that is still waiting for you. Bye. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.